um, spoke on uh, suffering. Um, it was about a bunch of other things, but the suffering was what I heard. <laughs> and I break out in a rash when I hear that. <laughs> uh, but it, it, was, it was a very good sermon, and um, uh, it, it was complete in itself, but, but uh, there was more that he should say to it. Uh, and uh, so we had Trevor come last week, and he, t- he talked about portals. Portals are just openings in between heaven and earth, uh, and um, he gave us a good word about that. Uh, so this morning, um, I've asked Pastor Sam to come and, and finish that word that he started two weeks ago, and... Uh, he was supposed to be going to Nigeria tomorrow. We were going to lay hands on him this morning. Uh, you can throw something at him if you want instead. <laughs> uh, your love and your respect would be good. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's just it's just good to have him around and uh, good that um, he sees things uh, in a wonderful, revelatory way and helps us to see those things as well. Uh, would you welcome him with me, our own Pastor Samuel Emerson. Very good. Check. Excellent. If you uh, have your Bibles, why don't you turn to Job 42. Job chapter 42. Job chapter 42. And then if you if you if you're able to uh, put your finger in 1 Peter chapter 5 as well as John chapter 21. Um, it's fun. How do I begin? So I'm, uh, I'm excited if you're new to church. Uh, my name is Sam, Samuel. Everybody kind of want to call me, as long as you don't call me ugly. But uh, kind of looks like when all the children leave that people went into portals, huh? <laughs> Bye-bye. <laughs> so uh I'm very, I have to like, just be honest with my church family, very excited to, as if I'm never honest, but anyways, side note, I love that phrase, we've got to get rid of that language, you know, to tell you the truth, please, lie to me, actually, I'd rather a lie, not the truth today, to be honest with you, because all the other times I'll be deceitful with you, (laughs) I'll just uh, read that out of the English language, to open my heart to you a little bit. I'm thrilled beyond thrilled that you get to wrestle with God and his relationship and how he speaks through the fact that I got denied to go to Nigeria, even though me and everybody else thought we were going to go, thought I was going to go. I am thrilled that as the revelation that God gave me about delay is not denial, you get a visible witness of delay not being denial. Keep whatever judgments you want to keep about did I really hear from God or is Sam even called to go to the nations or all those kind of things. You can wrestle with that. But how wonderful that we as a church family get to wrestle with things that seem certain but are uncertain. 
I had the word, I talked to Ottawa, I spent a lot of time talking to Nigeria and the Nigerian people and all the different extension numbers, and I can give you all of them by memory. <laughs> and, 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 and they would bash me around from one to the other, and nothing let my faith waver. I still thought I was going. Still feel that God gave me words for Nigeria. In fact, some of the stuff that's coming out today and this morning in the early service, the Lord's table service this morning, I, com- I preached a completely separate message. Completely different. Something I'll preach at another point at this time. I just feel that there's more that I have to unpack as to what God's showing us as a church right now. Very like honored to do this. Wasn't planning to preach this Sunday. Only found out I was going to preach, I think, last night. Some point or day before, something like that. But the idea, not that I'm not prepared in it either. This was a crazy week. Never in my life in, have I had a vehicle stolen or I've had things stolen. But I had, my car was stolen this week. Uh, my family got super sick and I got super sick. And lots of you, I had to cancel different meetings with different people. So don't be offended that I'm standing here right now and I wasn't standing with you this week. I really was sick. Didn't think I was going to come today. Almost puked this morning at the morning service, but that's a, a gross thing. Not because I'm feeling sick, just I don't have energy right now. So it's really exciting. But those energy-less moments make me more excited because Paul says in weakness, that's where Christ's power can be clearly seen. So giddy up. If I get excited, it's not because I have a lot of energy. I'll be thinking about passing out right after I'm done. And I'm not, I'm not sick right now. My voice is hoarse because, again, I haven't done anything with my voice all week. And then I have to sing in the range that Amanda does. And my voice wasn't ready. <laughs> and I wasn't warmed up. And I was already yelling this morning in the service because that was really fun too. So uh, it's just really, really special. But this week has, been, has felt like a slam. But for whatever reason, I felt like I was beyond the emotion of the whole thing. So I, now I, no, don't for a minute think I didn't have to deal with disappointment. And don't think for a minute that I was like, oh, I'd rather not go anyways. doesn't matter that I went through all those shots, had to spend all this money, had all my stuff laid out, all ready to be packed, freaking out about Africa because Africa has snakes and snakes are my number one worst thing next to sharks. But anyway, so just the idea of the fact that big snakes live in that little small place is, does not seem fun to me at all. And, I, and, and of all the places, I've grown up in the church, and of all the places I never, ever, ever wanted to go, never vocalized it because I've heard so many ministers of the gospel and missionaries go, well, I used to say I'll never go to Africa, and then God called me to Africa. So make sure you don't say what you don't really want to do because then you'll have to go there. And so I just kept my mouth shut. But if I was to open my heart to you, I was like, that'd be my last place I want to go on earth. I want to go to Africa. I don't want to go to anywhere that has evil things all around that creeping crawl. You know, we left that in the garden. And I'm pretty happy that they don't live here. But, but do you see, like, so, so in all the, all the joking aside and all of the, not even joking, just the making light of something that's deeply painful. I mean, this comes to a huge shock to my whole family. All my kids are getting to walk with me through delay is not denial. We get to do it. They get to walk through that together. They see the look on our face going, I have words, I have gifts for these people, people that I don't even know, people that I felt God showed me in a vision. I have gifts for them. And I'm looking forward to seeing them one day face to face and going, ah, you're that person. And some of the best intercessors in the world thought I was going. Even this morning came up to me, really excited for when you're going tomorrow. We, there's a sense of me going, but there's a sense of wrestling with delay is not denial. Delay is not 
denial. And in fact, God moves in the middle of delay. And not only weird stuff happened with me this week, weird stuff happened in our church with people that I love dearly. There's incredible loss that's happened this week. There's, a, there's incredible frustration that's happened this week. There's ups and downs, and you're probably some of the people I'm talking about. If you're going, yeah, me too. I'm talking about you. There's, there's all this stuff happening, and there's a wrestle and a fight that's bigger than who we are and what we are. And it's only in weakness does his strength get made known. And out of this, by God's grace, I'm going to go to a different place in Africa. And out of this, I'm going to be able to minister to people in Kenya, which I've still never been to the orphanage in Kenya. Many of you have. But really excited for the inroads that God will make there. And just hanging on, if you will. Going, man, this kind of hurts. But here we go. Because where else am I going to go? What else am I going to do? Am I really going to start building a resentment like I can't believe God did this to me? Or am I going to go, ah, he promised it. His promises are true and his promises are faithful. So I'm going to continue to believe Jesus in the midst of what seems like a denial. A flat out no. Like they're keeping my passport. It's illegal, I think. It's not allowed. I have to send it back. I paid for it. So we're, we're in this process, but I was thrilled when I got the no, no, for sure, no, after it was a yes, yes, for sure, yes. I was like, oh, goody, here we go. Everybody gets to watch me walk through delay is not denial. Because some of the pain that I've experienced that God birthed that message out of, I can't share with you at this point. Not at this point. Later in life, because it's not a public thing, per se. But there's so much stuff. And the amount of pain that's in this room, again, I want to honor Because there is so much pain and frustration. And there are so many of us that have tasted delay. And anticipated it as denial. Because we go back to our childhood with it. We go back to the father and mother figures that we've encountered in life. The spouses that have denied us continually. The children that have denied us. The friends Do you know, like psychologically, it's a physical, painful reality to be rejected. The emotion of rejection is equivalent to being punched in the face. Physically. That's the pain and the disorientation that happens to the flood of emotion. If you've ever had the joy of being punched in the face. (laughs) What? There is something or in the gut. There is something, maybe that's an easier one for you to understand. The flood of just, ah, what to do right now in the flood of emotions. And, and psychologists are just coming into this now. And yet our Lord embodied his supper in the midst of rejection. And he embodied delay is not denial. Because guess who hasn't come back yet? Does that mean he's not coming back? Amen. That's the tone that I think the apostles were writing in. Jesus not going to come back? <laughs> do you really think? So let's do this here. I'm really excited. What we began a couple weeks ago, it's the idea that in its essence, and please hear the context of this, in its essence, suffering and pain is only a reality or a problem, if you will, for Christians. Everybody, nobody 
would sign up that isn't a Christian or that's a Christian and go, ooh, I'll take a slice of pain. Would you put in a slide of extra pain and suffering? I'd like a double pain and suffering order. Nobody wants pain. So I'm not saying that if you're not a Christian, you don't know what suffering is. You might know more suffering than we've ever encountered yet. But suffering is a problem for Christians because we trust an all-loving, all-powerful God who we will say is not one or the other or one at the expense of the other, that he is perfectly powerful and perfectly loving. So the theological dilemma is, if he is perfectly powerful, then he can stop the suffering that you and I go through. If he is powerful, then he should stop the suffering. And if he really is loving, how could he let us go through whatever it is that we went through? And you can rationalize it in your head. You can go, well, I can understand how God would let me go through this event, but not this event. Because if he's loving, he knows I can't handle it. And God said, he'll never give us anything that we can't bear. Uh, he said, he won't be, let us be tempted beyond that which we can bear. There's definitely things that we cannot bear that we are called to go through. In the churches of Revelation, God uses a word, I won't use the Greek word right now, but the word is a crushing weight. And he says to one of the churches of the crushing weight, he says, guess what? You're gonna suffer with this crushing weight, a weight that will crush you. You're gonna suffer for 10 days, which is another number for completion. You're gonna suffer for 10 days. And Jesus says, suffer well. A crushing weight, suffer well. That's a problem, is it not? Anybody that thinks clearly about this should say, uh, that's a big problem. That is a huge problem. Because that's not fair and pain sucks. And as soon as it happens to you, you go, ah, this is the worst pain ever. Like my children were sick before me and I looked at them like, suck it up. Let's go just have a little rest here. And then I got hit with it. And now I am a man and men get sicker than everybody else. It's a proven fact, but let's side note. It's called the man flu. I have psychological documents to give it to you. I, <laughs> so my friends that are going through uh, um, psychology right now, the program and stuff wanted to argue with me at the point, but it's, it's there. It's documented. Testosterone makes sickness worse for everybody, just so you know. So, Oh, it's true. But, but then as soon as it hit me, I was like, oh, I need to have more compassion with them. I can barely breathe. Like I felt, and all of a sudden when pain hits you, all of a sudden it becomes real. Like you're like, yeah, I believe that you're hurting. I have compassion for you. All of a sudden it hits you and you're like, it was this bad? Like, let's cuddle. So suffering is a problem for believers. And here's why it's a problem even more for believers. Because we are those that are entrusting ourselves 
to a perfectly loving and all-powerful God. And yet, he still lets us go through suffering. And he says it's for his glory. And he says it's for our good. That's a difficult message. That's a difficult reality for us to go through. And we all want to argue, well, this suffering, this doesn't count. And then this suffering, maybe it counts. And God can't be glorified. How could God be glorified in this kind of suffering? Well, I don't know. But since you created the world, why don't you tell us? See, it gets really complicated because what happened with Job is that Job is in such a place, in such a state, and all of his friends are trying to figure out why Job is suffering. And which parts of suffering don't count as God-given suffering. And they're doing the whole thing. And they're pressing it. And they're pressing it. And they're giving their opinions. And they're laying on all of these ideas. Because in truth, it's a natural question that comes in your heart. Is if God's loving, shouldn't a loving God love me? And shouldn't love feel nice? Shouldn't it feel nice? Because truthfully, I mean, the five love languages came out with uh, Dr. Emerson Egerich. And we all think, well, I'm not having my needs met. My love tank is empty. It doesn't feel like she's loving me the way she's supposed to. And we get, we get like this entitlement gig that we're all of a sudden supposed to have our tanks filled with love all the time. Let me tell you, Christ showed the greatest love ever. And I'll bet your bottom dollar, he did not feel one ounce of tickly goose on the cross. I'm like, (laughs) oh, I love this people of mine. Too far? close to home he didn't feel that at all but yet hebrews says for the joy set before him he endured the cross therefore we need to look at could there be something else other than felt happiness about the word joy yes there can paul and silas would say there are remember paul and silas when they were twisted and turned and all contorted in their stocks And stocks were a form of holding your body in inappropriate ways that don't bend the way they are to give you the maximum amount of discomfort when they were in prison. And when they were in prison, beaten, humiliated, shamed, and in a constant state of pain, they began singing praises. And in singing praises, the breakthrough came. But again... We're looking at the question, why is suffering such a problem? Looking at the question about how can Christians go through suffering well? And without calling into question his goodness, his character and his nature. Because God will never deny himself. Therefore, you need to look at the situation you find yourself in and look past. Knowing how good God has always showed himself to be and he will never stop being good to you in that area and in that way he'll never deny himself therefore what you go through right now paul calls momentary suffering and it might feel like a forever suffering but anything in this life falls under the brackets momentary suffering everything You cannot theologically disprove it and you can theologically rejoice in it because this is momentary. 
And if this is as good as life gets, please give me another one. For real. Because disappointment and rejection is something that is very common to most of the people God brings in this church. And so you have walking wounded, physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. And Jesus loves us in the midst of it. So remember this. Job, I don't care what you've been taught in the past about Job and trying to excuse Job out of the picture so you can still trust Jesus for healing. Job is one of my most favorite theological understandings because James says Job was written to show the mercy and kindness, compassion of God. That's exciting. That's in the New Testament. Job made it in the New Testament. Side note. Good enough for me. You ready? Sure. Job does something that I think all Christians need to do. New Testament Christians. When he gets afflicted, with all this stuff, he hears the most devastating news. I cannot imagine what it feels like to lose a child. And he lost all in a moment. All in a moment. Instantly. And he was a good father. And he lost all in a moment. And he lost every ounce of finances he had. And then he gets hit with sickness. And boils. And yuck. Boils. So that his only comfort the Bible says. And we don't have time to go through all this. But the only comfort the Bible says. That Job could find. Is taking broken bits of pottery. While he's sitting on a garbage dump. Scraping himself. That's comfort. And Job blesses the name of the Lord. And he goes, brackets, all suffering is in momentary category. So he goes, naked, I came into this world. Naked, I will leave. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I bet it was not like, well, blessed be the name of the Lord. You know, he's always good and always has been good. I believe it was blessed be the name of the Lord. And he tore in his heart and he said, you are still good because you always have been good. You've never changed. Therefore, I will stand in this place and I will kneel in this place and I will sing praises to my king even though I cannot see why it's happening to me. Remember the whole story of Job. Job is never told the behind the scenes. Never told the behind the scenes. He's never brought aside after God encounters him. And this is what we talked about two weeks ago. So if you need, you can get that message. Job never gets pulled aside by God and God goes, hey, guess what? This was this whole picture. I actually picked you because I loved you so much and I just slammed everything against you I could. Just let the enemy just hammer you and hammer you and hammer you so that all of Christianity could use you as an example of how to suffer well. Thanks, Job, for being awesome. High five. Yeah. Job was never brought into it. He's never told. We are told. So that we can be instructed to not desire evil as those in the Old Testament did and to not turn from Christ or test him. 
we are instructed, having structures built in ourselves through the testimony of all those that have gone before. Because their testimony is our testimony. Because God has revealed who he is. And one plus one equals two. So therefore, if God has revealed himself as he is, he, plus one, can never deny himself or change in any way. Therefore, two equals he will do and be the same for you. One plus one equals two. And the problem is, is we are so focused on our momentary. We're so captured by, but it doesn't look like it's going to work out. No, it doesn't. And you're probably right. And I, in, in, the, in my whole Christian life, I've never encountered more of a closeness to God and encountered more of a connection with other people. It's when we sit in our proverbial garbage dump and we just cry because we know Job's friends wasted a whole lot of pages in the Bible. God says that. You know what? Let's just do that because you might not know God says that. Let's play. Job, Job 42. Then Job answered the Lord and said, after God said, okay, this, sorry, I love this. You need to see it. So one, one preacher once said this, that when, when God called Job, it's kind of like he set Job up and he said, all right, Job, get your helmet, put your cup on. I'm about to knock you out. So when God sets Job down, he goes, hey, Job, listen up. And he starts with, where were you when? And Job was, oh, wasn't there. Like, because when we deal with our stuff, we go, God, how could you let this happen to me? <laughs> and then God shows Job and he goes, let me take you back to the beginning of time. <laughs> where were you then? Uh, I don't know. Hey, Job, tell me. This is just the context for those of you that are unfamiliar with this. He goes, tell me how I created an ostrich. That's a retard. <laughs> the dumbest bird on the planet, yet faster than fast. He goes, Job, how come I did that? And he goes, oh, the horse. Oh, the horse. It's almost like God's like, yeah, the horse. And, you know, like, he's in this place and he's talking about all these creations, he goes, where were you, Job? Do you even know how I did this? Do you know how I put the stars in the sky? Do you know how I... Job goes, but here's the precious part that we're going to see. God actually says Job was righteous in what he said. So if you study the book of Job, you need to see how Job responded and how his friends responded. Do you know, as a confusing little Christian school kid, I used to highlight my Bible till there's no highlighters left. And I always got confused. Am I allowed to highlight Job's friends words? It was like a waste of my life to read Job's friends. Just so you know, I'd always read it. Even every year I read Job's friends and I go, oh, that's good. Wait, is it really good? (laughs) No, maybe you don't do this. I do that. But anyways, (laughs) because, because of what we're about to read. So it says this. Job answered the Lord and said, I know. This is after God just laid into him all this stuff of his beauty. And that's the theme of Job in this case is that all Job gets in the middle of his suffering is God. And God is enough. And that's what overwhelms his heart where he is. Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things. Now he knows. And no purpose of yours can be thwarted. He is all powerful. Do you hear that? Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? 
Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. This is humility. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. Hear, and I will speak. I will question you, and, make, and you make it known to me. I heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see. Therefore, I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. And I challenge you, getting an eternal perspective, you will never stand before the face of Jesus Christ with his broken body and his arms stretch wide with the scars still in his hands as he welcomes you into the eternal kingdom, you will never stop and go, wait, I have some questions. I'd like to know how come life hurts so much. How come you let this person get away with this and I got slammed? You will never do it. You'll fall on your face and you will cry holy. And you will go, oh, you're that good? Oh, you're that Amazing. And after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, the Lord said to these guys, my anger burns against you and against your two friends. Those two friends don't even get named. That's how angry God is. It's like a, a mom, you know? <laughs> oh, never mind. <laughs> you know, when everybody gets mad and they're like, you, you and you over here now, whatever your name is here. It's kind of like that. I don't know. For you have not spoken of me what is right. Do you see that? It says all Job's friends' words did not speak of him what is right. As my servant Job has. Therefore, take seven bulls, seven rams, and go to my servant Job. And offer burnt offerings for yourselves. This is humility again. Because they were trying to teach Job something. And now they have to go to Job. My servant Job shall pray for you. I have, will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. For you have not spoken to me what is right, as my servant Job has. And so they went, and Job prayed for them. And here's verse 10. And the Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. Just leave that up. The Lord restored the fortunes of Job when he had prayed for his friends. If you remember, the very thing that took Job's children away and all that Job had was a whirlwind. And God speaks to Job out of a whirlwind, which would have evoked pain. We can't bypass those details because those details are there on purpose. So the very pain that Job encountered, the greatest pain of his life came from a whirlwind and yet the greatest revelation of his life came from that very source of pain. And God met him in his pain. Is God the whirlwind? Absolutely not. But he chose to be a whirlwind to encounter Job in that way. Because after the long period of time that Job was continuing to suffer, he encountered God. And all he got was God. And that was more than enough. He didn't get an explanation. He got God. And then this unique phrase that I believe locks or holds an encounter with the living God is the word after. It's the word after or when. The Lord restored 
the fortunes of Job after or when he prayed for his friends. Guess what Job was doing when he was praying for his friends? Still having sores all over his body. See, I could show you theologically, I could bring you through the whole Bible right now and show you that every one of the people of God that had to trust God was in the moment of trusting. They had to respond with nothing, 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 nothing. And as they step forward in faith, in. Not before. So Job in pain. This is how I read this. Job in pain prayed for his friends. Job still with the reality, is God going to change my situation? We read this story so quick and we go, and the Lord restored the fortunes of Job, la, la, la. We read it so quick. But you imagine you had your friends lecture you while you're bleeding and broken and you've lost everything for as long as those guys lectured. And Job is a very long book. It's my favorite time of the Bible reading year is Job. It's a long book to feel like I'm wasting my time when I'm reading the friend's words. And they just hammer him with words. Can you imagine the God of the universe going, want Job, hey, come here. Um, you get to pray for them. Those guys? How about you just deal with them? It was great. Like Job, would have, I would have been rejoicing. And, I, and Job is more righteous than I am, I guess. But I would have been like, as God was going, Job spoke things about me that was right. If I was Job, I'd be like, <laughs> suckers. Just in my head, I'd be like, go get him, God. Go tell him. Go tell him that this was right. Do you see? Yet God veils his deliverance through praying for those that he had to extend forgiveness to. He had to bring the very kingdom of God to them in forgiveness. Because in order for Job to pray and for God to hear his prayer, it had to be sincere. Not fine. Okay, pray for you. He had to, guess what? Job had to sacrifice. This cost him and his friends. It cost. He had to sacrifice. And he, do you see how God veils this stuff? So our church has been forged in simple understandings of the faith. Simple things like, Walk in God's love and give it away. You don't really have it if you can't give it away. And then God spoke a word to my dad early on in the church. And it was a word that I don't know if you could just listen to words all the time and you go, oh, great. Yay. But he had a word and he said, the very thing you need, go give that away. Do you know how hard that is to hear for a young guy? I was like, but I need it. But I want it. My precious. (laughs) He goes, no, this is something our church is going to do. You need a car, go give someone else a car. But then I don't have a car. You need this, go give it away. You need a friend, go be a friend. You need healing, pray for someone else's. (laughs) But I'm sick. Like, Like, just get this. This is, and I listened. I listened to that word. And God let me look like a fool so many times for his glory, my suffering joy. I'm telling you, I had to go. I felt God tell me at times, go pray for that person. 
And I'd be like, can I pray for you to be healed that you're sick? Uh, don't touch me. I'll be like, can I just do it from distance? Like, from here? You okay? And they got healed. And I'm like, hey, 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 me. Sometimes it would. Sometimes it would. Do you know there's a guy, um, his name's Eric Johnson, uh, and he's deaf, partially deaf. In one of his ears, he's from Bethel. And what endeared me so much, I can't wait to meet that guy one day, Lord willing, I will. What endeared me so much to him is that he's a living witness in something called a nowadays revival of him having to still be deaf while healing many people of deafness. And some of you would be like, well, just go get him to pray, be prayed for by Heidi Baker. She heals everybody. He has. Many times. Not just in the States, but in Africa, where they all get healed. And so he's watching all these deaf people. My favorite stories. He is watching all of these deaf people come up to Heidi Baker, and Heidi Baker just does her... <laughs> just like, that stuff, right? Can, sorry, I'm not making fun of anybody. I'm just trying to connect you to who. And, and, and healing, healing, healing. And Eric Johnson, nothing, nothing, nothing. And he still prays and then God still ministers to people through him and through healing. You know how wonderful that is? So where are you broken this morning? Where are you encountering that kind of shame? And could it be God in, Asking you to give away from that very place? Not as a know-it-all. Job had to humble himself to do this. And he still was told to do it in the middle of his pain. After it happened. But make no mistake, Job didn't know there was going to be an after. You cannot show me, theologically, Job ever knew God was going to restore anything. All he had in that moment was the testimonies of his forefathers, if you will. The testimonies of scripture. All he would have had was hearing and knowing the God that he trusted himself and entrusted himself to. That's all he would have had. And he had to step out into it by faith, not knowing if anything was going to change. And he had to do it because God was enough. Job shows God is enough. Job shows God is enough. And he's more than enough. And you don't have to be excited about this for to hit you in your heart. He wants you to know he is more than enough. And not just so you get what you want. He is. And you will have nothing in this life to hold on to when you meet him face to face. We all stand completely vulnerable, completely bare, and we get Jesus. The mystery of the world is atheists, Buddhists, Muslims, Christians, New Age people. We all get Jesus at the end. We all get Jesus. And some are welcomed in. And some have to go through something else. As hard as that is to hear. I'm not saying all go to heaven. I'm saying all get to meet face to face with Jesus. And where will we stand? You get an eternal picture 
start reading Revelation and not in a weird way, like a newspaper article of end time events, but as the way it was actually written as a discipleship manual to cause Christians to overcome by understanding things are not as they seem. Our present realities, there is more happening around it. If you're falling in and out of not listening right now, it's not because you're ADD. And it's not because you're too tired because you watched a movie last night. There's stuff happening right now. Stuff is being contending for your soul right now. It's happening right now. There's stuff all around happening. And we just think, how could that person be a jerk to me? Maybe because our Ephesians 6 says, if you want to look this up later, our wrestle isn't against flesh and blood. You ready? We're, we're ending. But but make sure, make sure you know that there's more going on than meets the eye. Like I'm, I'm longing, if the Lord allows me to continue preaching in this church in the future, all those kind of things, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going anywhere, blah, blah, blah. I just mean like literally, if he allows me to continue being a preacher, like some of the stuff I want to like walk us through together is like stuff in revelation, understanding the bigger picture that's going on. I think understanding eternity, not as a place to escape from, but as an encounter with God's recreation, the covenant keeping God that makes all things new. I think it changes the way you go through everything. You can also then bracket like Paul does this light and momentary suffering. Can't compare to the eternal weight of glory. It's being kept for us in Christ. Because that's all you can hang on to. When you're sick, when you're disappointed, when there's delay happening, when you lose things, when you lose big things, small things, you're in trauma. We need to encounter Christ. We need to encounter Christ. Dave, you want to come up here? I'm just going to end with this. We need to encounter Christ. In all of his glory. Let's turn to, I'm just going to end literally with this. First Peter chapter five. And unfortunately, I don't have enough time to go in Peter today. Or about my, my friend Peter. But if you remember when we talked about a couple weeks ago, and if you weren't here, you can definitely get it online. But if you remember the, the reality of what God showed us last week or two weeks ago. Remember, Peter denied Jesus by a fire. That's the detail that's in the scriptures. Okay? And then God built a fire, Jesus built a fire on the shores and welcomed Peter into love and commissioned him into his call. But you remember this, and I don't have time to go there right now, but you remember when Jesus says to him, Peter, Satan is demanded or asked to sift you like wheat. Satan's asked to sift you like wheat. And Jesus says to him, to Peter, but I have prayed for you but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
And then he says, and when you turn, strengthen your brothers. When you turn, strengthen your brothers. And he is not just talking. The, the Lord uses in that a word that's a generic brothers. It's actually encountering and encompassing all Christians at all times. Peter's encounter in that moment and his sifting was meant to be a blessing and a strength to all of us afterwards. To his disciples. So Peter was taken down. And the book of Acts says this. We're going to go to Peter a second here. But the book of Acts says, In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. Luke wrote, When you turn, strengthen your brothers. Luke also writes, And in those days, Acts 1.15, In those days, Peter stood up. And he points out Peter's name. And then in Acts 2, when all of the tongues and the confusion and the stuff is happening out there and people are going, what's happening? Luke uses the same words, and Peter stood up. I felt like of all that I'm saying, this is the point that you need to hear the most today. Peter was sat down by a fire. And Jesus says to him, you feel disqualified right now? You're in pain right now? You've been suffering right now. What you need right now is not an explanation. You need my love. And from my love, your destiny. I'm going to show you how to strengthen your brothers. Feed the sheep. Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Peter goes, yeah, I do. And then Acts records and says, Luke writes, Peter stood up. And all through Acts, you see Peter strengthening the brothers. He's the one that blesses the church of Samaria, a despised people group in that time, with the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 8. Then in Acts chapter 10, Cornelius and the Gentiles, the door is open so that all Gentiles, including me, get to encounter the gospel of Jesus Christ and get to be brought into Israel expanded or Israel extended, the covenant of God. We get brought in, grafted, the Bible uses. He's the one that stands up and strengthens his brothers. And by God's grace, Luke points out that he even messed up yet again. And he tried to exclude people from the gospel. And then he gets rebuked by Paul. Yet, he stands back up. And if I had time, I could show you all this. So here, First Peter 5, for anybody that feels disqualified this morning or feels beyond frustrated because of the suffering you're in, Job reveals nobody knows how to deal with people in their suffering. We can comfort as best we can. Holy Spirit does. He's the great comforter, which doesn't mean cuddler. So it's a military word that means to come alongside of in strength. Strength and weakness. So listen to this and listen to it like Peter's fireside chat. 
Because I actually think what's written here is written about this fireside chat. Rather, not about it, but the revelation that came from Peter, understanding the character, nature, goodness of God, he now speaks boldly as one who knows. And what does he know? The one that was told he was going to be sifted like wheat, tempted, tested, failed, grafted in, brought in, raised up. So what he writes, humble yourselves, verse 6. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, so that at the proper time, he may exalt you. At the proper time, he may exalt you. Peter knows that was a great test in humility. He gets to lead the very people he let down. That's humility. Because God alone did it. Casting your anxieties, rolling your anxieties on God, on him, because he cares for you. That's what the love was, that's what was happening around the fire. Peter's anxieties and the turmoil that he was going. Every time he said, you know I love you, Lord, he's like rolling his anxieties on the God who cares for him. He says, be sober-minded. Be, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking for someone to devour. Resist him. S firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. Overcome, overcome, overcome. Rise up, rise up, rise up. Let God strengthen your weak knees this morning. Rise up, because the suffering you're experiencing is happening all over the world. And again, this word encompasses not just those he's writing to, it encompasses us. And then my favorite part. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, the word of our year, the God of all grace, whether you feel like this year has been grace for you or not, the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Just leave that up. So when Jesus is by Peter by the fire, what's the revelation? He himself, Jesus himself will come to you. Even in the midst of that which reminds you of what you were disqualified for in the first place. He will confirm, restore, and strengthen you. He will himself Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You stand with me this morning. For a moment, we're going to enter into this just for a moment. And in the moment, we're just going to pray. But I want us to take hold in the year of grace 
that God has revealed to our church and he confirmed it out of the mouths of two or three witnesses. The beginning of the year, grace is the word. Therefore, grace is what you're going to get. And it might not feel like grace because guess what was grace to Peter? Grace was Peter being sifted. Like, throw that in your theological monkey wrench bucket. Like, sifted by Satan and Jesus said, I don't know what he did. Go for it. It's going to happen. Guess what that was to Peter? Grace. Grace. And what does Peter know? And who is the God he's inviting us to encounter? The same one that himself, not he won't send somebody else to do it. He won't send out his little angelic ministers to go do it. He himself will restore. He will confirm. He will strengthen. And he will establish you. You need to stand on this. We need to stand on this. We just saw the whole front flooded by men in a day and an age when men apparently don't attend church. But our church didn't give that memo. Because we know the God who will himself confirm. Who will himself restore? Who will himself strengthen? Who will himself establish so that no one can move you? So after you suffer a little while, Peter says it. Don't take your suffering as disqualification. Take it as grace. Hard as that is to say. I'd probably be liked if I told you you never had to suffer. The Bible says this is the way of grace. And it doesn't mean we go out looking for suffering. Peter will also say, if you suffer for doing wrong, you're a dummy. Paraphrase. You suffer for Christ. And I think we need to take hold of him today. So much to say because there's so we need to encounter him around the fire or encounter him in the whirlwind but don't think because it hasn't happened yet that it's not going to happen and don't think that you can't be a strengthening encouraging comforting agent of God the very thing you yourself are longing for to someone else because like Job he might ask you to do that before you feel like it or before anything's changed in your life so let me pray and we can take hold of more Father you are so good and we pray right now for the brokenness in this room the suffering the frustration and the pain. And we do not minimize it, but rather we magnify it by giving it to you, saying that our suffering, our pain, our brokenness, our delay, our seemingly denial hurts a lot, but it's yours to take. And don't let it waste in our lives, but let it prove and improve our character. 
Let it commission us to do the very things we were called to. And let us not give up on being an encouragement to others, even when we don't feel like we're an encouragement. Let us give away the very things that we ourselves want to receive. Knowing that you alone are the one who gives. I pray you would puncture through any form of resistance to your way and your working. And we would stand in this time of history, not as those with everything figured out, but those who bleed alongside and yet trust in their deliverer. For those who heal, those that are of brokenheartedness those that bring the kingdom of God, which is healing health and wholeness, goodness in this broken world. And those who might not have felt you for a long time, may you begin to encounter them with your incredible love. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You don't have to sit. Um, there'll be a, a team up here to pray for you. If you have anything you need prayer for, uh, bless you. Uh, that was such a good word. Uh, go in peace. Be blessed.